conquest. People who don't see hope give up. That's what Sister Nang is feeling. Just look in Pastor Toby's eyes and you see he's struggling. He's struggling to keep going. He works two full-time jobs just to take care of his family. And then he has to find the time and he has to find the energy to get into the Word of God and bring something to preach. And every pastor will tell you there are Sundays when you're just not ready because you've had too many things going on, either a death in the church or a wedding or you've had some kind of crisis and you, you, you've given your time and your week to that issue. and You haven't given it to the preparation of the Word. And I am so grateful to you that you give me the time it takes to go ahead and prepare a message. Because for every 40-minute message, you know that there's between four and eight hours of preparation just for that. And Bible studies even more than that. So the fact that you give me the time uh, to, to study and to prepare. And yesterday we had, we had three Bible studies in a row. It was a great day. I mean, we literally went from, we went from Mighty Men, we went to the new, the new Fellowship, the young professional people. And I'll tell you something, they're gonna outnumber all of us soon because they have an access to people that don't know Jesus, and they're going to be the ones reaching them and touching them. And then, of course, we came to the Bible study last night, and it was just a wonderful time at Wake Forest. It was just a blessing to be connected to all those things. And so today, I look at this message, and it's perfect for us. It's actually perfect for Pastor Toby. I'm going to send him a copy of it because I want him to be encouraged. We are talking about into the waters once more. You talked about the starting of the church. The church started with only four families, only a few now we have new Bible studies popping up everywhere. Two new Bible studies just for Durham. What a blessing. Oh, we have too many people for one Bible study. We have to have two now. Those are good problems, amen? Those are the good kinds of problems that you want to have. We're growing too quickly. In fact, the church that, that they meet in out there in Rocky Mountain, the church is actually being sold out from under them. They're meeting in it. It's called Rock of Life Church. And they're selling it off because... The other congregation that owns the building has actually outgrown that building. And so that means Pastor Toby and them could be stuck with nowhere to meet. But I know God's going to supply their need. He is going to meet their need. So as we talk about into the waters once more, what do you think of? You think of perhaps the founding of GGCF, starting with four families. You think about some of the hard times, the difficult times, going through the whole building a constitution, doing the bylaws, putting all that together every year, doing a budget. Ask anyone that works with the budget. It's a headache. It's like down into the breach. I always tell my daughter, one of my favorite phrases from English literature is down into it, which is what the light brigade said before they charged. And I, whenever I say that, down into it, I have to remember all 600 men who went down into it died. The charge of the light brigade was magnificent in military history. All of them died, but they went out splendidly. That doesn't sound good to you. But as the son of a soldier and the brother of a soldier, it's the only way you can go out gloriously, is to go out in an impossible task, just doing your duty, doing your service. And that's kind of what Pastor Toby's facing. He's facing the down into it. But also think back into the waters once more. To get from Egypt and slavery to freedom, they had to go through the waters of the Red Sea, amen? I know a lot of modern scholars say, oh, no, no, Pastor, it was the Reed Sea. It was only three inches deep. Well, praise God, it was three inches deep. He drowned the entire Egyptian army and Pharaoh in three inches of water. How good is our God? Most people would take gallons and gallons to drown him. No, God drowned him in three inches of water. No, I'm sorry. Every Bible map is wrong on the Exodus. 
They found the Red Sea crossing. It's 100 feet down in the Gulf of Aqaba. Now, these people were the sons and daughters of those who left Egypt. They had never been through the water. Some had been through it as little children. But, you know, little kids don't remember. They might remember the water standing up. They might remember walls, but they don't remember how it felt to walk down into that. Only Joshua and Caleb were alive to remember how it felt as a grown person to walk into the waters. Look at that scene. That's terrifying. That's terrible. But that is what is about to happen in the life of Israel again. That's what's going to happen for us because we're going to take on new challenges in the coming year. We're going to do new things we've never done before. A brand new Young Professionals Bible study. Two new Bible studies in Durham. How much more will God grow us? I don't know. But it could be scary for some people. But let's take a look at it. Joshua 3, 1 through 5. If we're going to go into the waters once more, the first thing we have to do is prepare God's people. Amen? That's you. You have to be prepared before God can do great things in this church. You say, well, no, Pastor, that's your job. God prepares you and you lead us. Uh-uh. God has to prepare you and your heart before you will have the vision to follow me. So let's take a look at it today. Joshua 3, 1 through 5 says this. Joshua started early the next morning and left the Acacia Grove with all of the Israelites. How many Israelites are there? Don't forget. They've been in the desert. They've wandered around. All of the old people died. Scholars estimate there were 2 million Israelites by the time they came to the Jordan River. Now, they're at the Acacia Grove. The Acacia Grove is in a place called Shedem. Shedem is seven miles from the Jordan. Remember Rahab? She said, we have heard of you and you scare us to death. Do you know why they were scared? Because Jericho's not that far from the Jordan River. And seven miles on the other side was the people of Israel. But if you've got an army of two million people, you can see them at seven miles. You can see a tribe that huge. No wonder they were, they were terrified. But it says he moves them all the way down. It says they went as far as the Jordan and stayed there before crossing. After three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God carried by the Levitical priests, you must break camp and follow it. And, but keep your distance of about a thousand yards between yourselves and the Ark. Don't go near it so that you can see the way to go, for you haven't traveled this way before. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves because the Lord will do wonders among you tomorrow. Wow. How exciting for the people of Israel. They've been in the desert. They've been wandering around for 40 years. Some of them were born in the desert. They've never seen a promised land. They've only known the desert. They've only known hardship. They've only known grief. Now here they are. They've conquered the two big boys on this side of the Jordan. They're about to go through. Look at this. They went as far as Jordan stayed there before crossing. How long did they stay? Three days. Wait a second. Three days. Where have I heard three days before? When you go home, check out Exodus 19. I'm not going to read it now. It's huge. Read Exodus 19, and you'll find that before God spoke to the people of Israel, what did he tell them to do? Prepare yourselves. Why did they have to get prepared? They were already camped. They had water. They had food. Because God was going to speak to them. God was going to reveal his power to them, and they had to be ready. We're going to see how that works in just a minute. A little bit further down. 
Three days, as soon as they heard that, their minds went back to the stories their parents told them about being at Mount Sinai. That should have got them aware that something great was about to happen. Remember, they had not seen the Red Sea part, unless they were as little children. They had not been slaves in Egypt, so they didn't know what that was like. But they had heard the stories. Now God was going to bring it home to them. The officers went through the camp and commanded the people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God carried by the priest, you must break camp and follow it. Does that bother anybody? All you students of the Exodus, does it bother you? should. What's missing? Wait a second. Okay. We know what happened in the desert. In the desert, they were led, right? If you go to Exodus 40, do it later, write it down, Exodus 40. Whenever the tabernacle of God was constructed, the cloud would descend on the, meet, the meeting place, right? That showed them God's presence was there. And when the cloud was over the tent, the people went nowhere, right? Just shake your heads, yes. yes. I wouldn't lie to you. I told you where to look, so you can, you can prove me wrong. Here's the thing. God told them when the cloud's there, don't move. However, when the cloud lifts off the tabernacle, follow that cloud. Remember, this is the cloud that led them out of captivity. It was a cloud by day, and it was a pillar of what by night? Fire. A pillar of fire. What do we call the pillar of fire? The Shekinah. The Shekinah glory of God. The Shekinah was what the Israelites later came to call it. The word Shekinah, by the way, is not in the Hebrew text. That's a later addition by, by the rabbis and things to give a name to what God's manifestation was. So when they saw the Shekinah by night, it gave them light. It gave them guidance. Nobody came near the fire of God. No one came near the cloud either. Notice this. He says, you must break camp and follow it. Following the ark. So where's the cloud? They don't need it anymore. Remember, I warned you before, as soon as they go in the promised land, something is going to stop. What's that? The manna. The manna is going to stop on the, other side of that, on the other side of that river because now they're in the promised land. Now they've received the fullness of, they don't need the temporary thing. Remember, the whole Bible is about fulfillment. In the Old Testament, you have animal sacrifice. Jesus comes. Jesus is sacrificed. What do you not need anymore? Animal sacrifice. Why? Because it is fulfilled. It is completed. Now they don't need the Shekinah. They don't need the fire because they are going to have the promised land. They're going to have their place. Talk about the Holy Spirit last night in our Bible study. When you accept Jesus Christ as Lord, it is the Holy Spirit who regenerates you. He gives you new life. He brings you from death to life, a slave to sin to a slave to God. Isn't that great? You trade masters. Slave to sin, slave to God. Now here's the thing. The Holy Spirit stays within us. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit goes. He would come upon a king. He would leave a king. He would come upon a man. He would leave a man. When the spirit was present, the power of God was present. When the spirit left or the cloud left, the power was gone. We don't have to go to some place, something for the power of God. It's within each one of us, right? That's what they're about to encounter. They're being led to a promised land. But once they're in it, they've got it. See, we have our promised land in Jesus Christ. I already have heaven. I am an heir of the throne of heaven because Christ has made me an heir. 
I don't have to see a crown on my head to know there's a crown on my head. Ladies, how many of you love tiaras? Put it on your head, you put it on your heels, you do the little princess thing, walk around the house. Nobody else does that? Okay. Guys, any of you? Never mind, no. Don't answer that question. There's no ask, no tell. I don't want to know. Anyways, we wear a crown of glory in this life, but you can't see it. It's the victory crown that Christ puts on your head. It's the seal of the Holy Spirit. You are marked. You may not have a tattoo on your body, but you are marked in a way that God's angels can see who you are and who you belong to. That's the amazing thing here. He says, you must break camp, follow the ark. The ark will lead you into the promised land. But notice this, he says, but keep a distance of a thousand yards between yourself and the ark. Now, why do they have to do that? Two reasons. What is the ark? Dangerous. The ark represents God's presence in the midst of his people. A little bit later than this, a guy named Uzzah who loved the Lord, the ark was on a cart being taken back to Israel, and it started to fall. Uzzah stuck his hand up, forgetting that God is sacred, God is holy, and you don't approach God without being invited. The Levites had access to that, but they, even they didn't abuse it. We have access to God, so we don't have to worry about him striking us dead. But in these days, the ark was holy, and he wanted to remind them, God is leading you into the promised land. Not just the cloud, God himself. But you're going to have to have faith that God goes before you. Now here's the thing. Also, there are two million people. What can you see at a thousand yards? All you, all you who are long distance shooters. A thousand yards is one of the hardest shots to make because between you and the target is heat and is wind and all kinds of other things. But the beautiful thing about a thousand yard shot, guys, is at a thousand yard you can see everything. I mean, literally, if you put the Ark of the Covenant carried by four priests at a thousand yards, most of the people of Israel could see where it was. If it was two feet in front of you, you might take the wrong path. This says, don't go near so that you can see the way to go because you haven't traveled that way before. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to keep the Word of God in front of you. You know why? You don't know how to be a fully developed, born-again Christian. Many of us know how to be baby Christians. You know, we go to church, we get fed, we crawl, we bump our heads, we bump our toes, all that good stuff. But as you grow, you need to put that, that image of Jesus Christ, that ark, that word of God out in front of you because it will show you how to go. And the closer you get to Christ, the longer you serve him, you really got to be looking down the road. As a believer, you should be saying, who do I want to be in a year and how am I going to get closer to that goal? Well, you're going to get that closer to that goal by submitting yourself to the Word of God, following its leadership. But here's the thing. Guys, how many of you hate to ask for directions? Now, back in the old days, you had to get out a map. Now we got GPS. How many of you guys get annoyed by the woman's voice on the GPS telling you what to do? I know you do. I've seen you. You get in the car and you turn down the volume because you don't want a woman telling you where to go. I know it's true. I've seen it happen. But the great thing about that GPS, I can just be driving and watching the road and watching the rain, and the GPS cuts through all that stuff and tells me where to go. You've got a GPS in your hands, I hope. If you have your GPS, open it. 
gospel positioning system. That's what GPS stands for. The gospel, it will tell you where you need to be to follow God. Y'all didn't know that was a GPS. Come on, right? GPS on your Bible. Gospel positioning system. It tells you how to be rightly related to God. And it tells you how to get where you're going. It tells you how to be conformed to the image of Christ. The Holy Spirit is in you right now, changing you, transforming you. And every time you expose yourself to the word of God, it has more and more strength to begin to change you and turn you around. Prayer is effective because prayer doesn't change God, but it sure does change us. Changes what we want, changes what we desire. As a young man, my prayers were selfish. God, give me this. God, give me this. God, give me this. But you know what? The older you get, it's Lord, use me to do this. Lord, use me to do that. Lord, use me any way you want me. You know, put me anywhere you want me to be. Just let me be of service. That's how prayer changes you. Because it puts you in a place where the Holy Spirit can really speak to you. And the word of God can speak to you too. So you know what? Before they could go into the promised land, the people had to be prepared to follow that ark. To follow the ark, not to trust the cloud anymore, not to trust the fire, because that's what they've been following. I mean, two million people need a big thing to follow. Now they've got to follow the ark, because they're walking into the land, and they've got to follow where God takes them. Because now, notice, there's no soldiers in front of them. There's no military men in front of them. There were military men among them, but in front of them were four preachers carrying the box. Talk about walking by faith and not by sight. That's what was going on. Notice this at the end. Consecrate yourselves because God will do wonders among you tomorrow. That's the same thing they had to do at Mount Sinai. Remember? Mount Sinai, you got three days. Consecrate yourselves. Wash your clothing. Cleanse yourself. You know, how do we consecrate ourselves to God's work? One, confess our sin. Lord, I've got a hardness in my heart. Lord, I've got a bitterness in my heart. Lord, I've got a stubborn streak in my heart. Lord, I've got an addiction that I'm dealing with. Lord, I've got anger issues I'm dealing with. Lord, I just cannot submit to that miserable husband you gave me because he just doesn't do things my way. That never happens in our church, but I've heard it happens in other churches. I didn't say that. Anyways, how we consecrate ourselves is through prayer, is by submitting to the Word of God, by reading the Word of God, bathing in the Word of God, and allowing it to change us. That's how we consecrate ourselves. We say, Lord, I don't care what kind of money I make. I don't care what kind of position I hold. I don't care how famous I become. I just want to be your servant. I just want to do what needs doing. Maybe I can't do the most important job in the church. Maybe, you know, not all young people can be junior ushers and deacons. So they're going to look at you to see how it's done. Because that's the next point. That's the next point. After you prepare the people, Joshua 3, 6 through 13, you got to prepare the leaders. you got to prepare the leaders. All leaders, that's you two. This is for us. Take a look at this now. <clears throat> Beginning in verse 6. Then he said to the priest, take the Ark of the Covenant and go on ahead of the people. They're going, well, i got to do what? Because all that's in front of them is a big river. So they carried the Ark of the Covenant and went ahead of them. The Lord spoke to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all of Israel, so they will know that I will be with you as I was with Moses. People still didn't trust Joshua. They only knew him as Moses' running man. They didn't know that he was really going to be the leader. But when God began to show through Joshua's life that God was working with him, it would restore the confidence of the people in their leaders. 
It says, command the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the waters, stand in the Jordan. I think this is so amazing. Stand in the Jordan. Now, most men are good at leading, but they're not so good at standing. Then Joshua told the Israelites, come closer and listen to the words of the Lord your God. Here's the thing. We'll stop right there before I do, um, you know, 10 through 13. Think about this. The ark is the symbol of God's presence in the church, right? What is the symbol of God's presence in our church? You. You are the symbol of God's presence in our church. A building is not a church. People are the church. The presence of the Holy Spirit in your life is the church. The symbol of God's presence here is how we deal with the word and how we deal with each other. Now that's important for you, the people, but it's also important for everyone who takes on a leadership position because we do set the example. We are the ones who feel like, you know what? If somebody looks at my life, I want my life to reflect Jesus Christ and not my own selfish ambition. My submission to the word, my submission to his godly way of doing things. Not all the leaders, not all the military leaders thought Joshua was the best pick. Not all of the Levites thought Joshua was the best pick. Some of them thought maybe one of the priests would be a better leader because God would communicate better with the priest than he would with the regular person. Not so. Priests have no special access to God. Wow, is that a loaded statement. I just realized what I said. Okay, we all are connected to God through the presence of the Holy Spirit that indwells us. Okay, God does not hear my voice any more than he hears your voice or your voice or your voice. You know what that means? You have a responsibility to use your voice. You have a responsibility to pray. You have a responsibility to be someone who takes responsibility for others. It ain't about you, sweetheart. This whole church is not about you. It's not about what you want, what you think, and what you feel you deserve. It's about what God is doing in our midst. That's why he sends them out there. He says, take the Ark of the Covenant and go be where I tell you to be. What if God tells us to do an outreach to homeless people? And you think, oh, it's going to cost too much money. Or, oh, it's, 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 it's going to put us in a difficult situation. Well, good. Let it. If God leads us, not just me, if God leads us to do that, then we do it. It made no sense to go to the Jordan. You can see why in just a minute. This was a crazy plan that only God could pull off. But notice this. God will always confirm his leaders. A lot of people step up to lead things in the church. Now, I'm going to be very delicate here because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Not every person is called to be a leader. Don't be offended by that. Every person is called to be a minister of the gospel in that you are a witness to the power of Jesus Christ. You are responsible for sharing the love of Jesus Christ with your friends, your neighbors, your family. Not all of us are called to lead God's people. There will always be leaders. There will always be followers, but we are all servants. Amen? Amen. Understand that. Even the leaders and the followers are all servants. Now, this says right here, Joshua, you don't worry. I know the people are divided. I know some of them don't believe in you. I believe in you. I chose you. I will exalt you, not because you're a great guy. I will exalt you so that you can be my servant. No person is lifted up in the church for their own good. 
they are lifted up in the church that they might serve others. If you don't want to be a servant, don't ask to be a leader. We talked about that when we talked about the council, when we talked about the deacons. Now we're finding and appointing new Bible study leaders, new people to lead Bible studies. And we need men to lead Bible studies. What happens when we keep growing and we don't just have two Bible studies in Durham? We have ten Bible studies in Durham. We're going to need that many leaders, amen? amen? God may be calling you say, hey, not me. I'm not smart enough. God hasn't tapped me on the shoulder. Consider this your tap. Ask God what he wants you to do. Don't be scared of the answer. Joshua was perfectly happy following Moses. Not so happy leading God's people. Because he knows God's people can be really cranky sometimes. Not, not always the best job. We see this later on in the book. You'll see this later on. But God will always confirm his leaders. He will always show those who are... i got to make a separation here. You have natural leadership people. You have God-appointed leaders. Do you know the difference? Church, you need to know the difference between somebody who is spiritually gifted as a leader and someone who is just a natural leader. A lot of guys in the military are taught leadership skills. They can lead a squad. They can lead a unit. You can take a job in a factory and you can be taught to be a leader. That's not that difficult. It really isn't. You can be taught leadership skills. But within God's people, we need to look at the people that God has blessed, anointed, and called to be leaders. Then we need to build them up and strengthen them and give them their talents and we need to give them their opportunities to serve. Not everybody who thinks they can sing can sing. Amen? Amen. I've been to karaoke. Okay. <laughs> I don't sing for a reason. I stink. Not everyone who thinks they can teach can teach. <laughs> don't say it. Don't not, I was at three Bible studies yesterday. Don't say a thing. No, don't say it. Let me go in my delusions. Okay. Anyways, the thing is to find out where you are blessed, where you are designed to be. That's exactly what our young professionals are studying. They're studying how to know their spiritual gifts and how to use the gifts that God has given them. After, the, after we finish our Bible studies now, there's a great study of spiritual gifts that I think would be wonderful for us to do as a church. Maybe not everybody Bible study wants to do it, but it's a great study if you want to go there to recognize what gifts you have. However, church, I warn you, once you know you've got a gift, you must use it. You can't say, I don't like that gift. The Holy Spirit gave you the gift. Take it up with him. If you don't like the gift you were given, too bad. God gave it to you for a reason. You might be scared of the gift, but use the gift. All right, let's keep going. Verse 10. He said, you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly dispossess before you the Canaanites, the, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, I hate the Girgashites, nasty people, Amorites, and those Jebusites. Ooh. When the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth, look at that title, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth goes ahead of you into the Jordan. Now choose 12 men from the tribe of Israel, one man from each tribe. When the feet of the priest who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, he keeps beating this. He wants to remember, this is not just the God of your people. This is the God of all peoples, the God who trumps everybody. That's who he is. When it comes to rest in the Jordan's waters, its waters will be cut off. The water flowing downstream will stand up in a mass. What does that remind you of, church? Red Sea. 
The Jordan River is not shallow. If you've been to the Israel, it's not shallow. And this is the wrong time of year to be going. You're going to see in just a minute, it's the flood stage. The flood stage of year is when the river is fastest and deepest and dangerous. I mean, animals and people got swept away all the time. Try taking two million people through a giant river that's flowing at its highest stage and the water's moving quickly. Babies and women and small cats disappearing. That's what they were afraid of. But God brought them to something that seemed impossible because they had to see the power of their God. Their fathers had seen it in the Red Sea. I mean, if you look at that, at that walk path that goes to the Sea of Aqaba, it's 100 feet down. I mean, you're talking about 100 feet of water on both sides. It was not happiness. It was not like, oh, that is so pretty. No, this was like, I'm so scared, I'm going to lose it right here. That's what it was like to walk through the Red Sea. Now they had to do it again. What Red Sea do you think God might be preparing the church to do? The church might be being prepared to help out a sister church. Might be being called out to prepare to do more Bible studies and extend ourselves further than we've ever gone. Is it okay with you that God causes us to do something that makes us uncomfortable? I mean, is it okay for God to be God of his church and ask you to do something that you don't necessarily feel good about yet? Is that okay? I heard no answers. I'm going to assume it's not okay. All right. In my prayers tonight, I'm going to tell, Lord, don't ask these people to do anything that they've never done in the past because they're just not feeling good right now, Lord. <laughs> no, I won't do that. Trust me. I always pray the opposite. Lord, call us to do something impossible, please, just so that we can see how good you are, how powerful you are, how great you are. That's what he did here. I mean, if you read and go back, the water standing up on end, two million people coming across a dry riverbed. What more of an amazing way to show their leaders what they could do. Because notice the priests with the ark, do they get to go through and stand on the other side? Where do the priests holding the ark have to stand? Smack in the middle of the river. These other 12 guys, you're going to see them a little bit later. They have a special job, but not till next week. That's what leaders do. Leaders stand in the most difficult places. They stand in the most dangerous places. They do the most difficult work because when the church sees its leaders stand and not budge and not give in and not quake, then the church gains strength. Because if God confirms his leaders and strengthens them and they stand, the church can stand. The problem we have in America today is church leaders have fallen. Church pastors and councils is that, well, you know, we're losing members. People are not giving as much to the church. Uh, they're leaving and going to other churches. How can we keep our people? Your job is not to keep people. That's not the job of a pastor. It's not to keep people. Your job is to preach the word of God. So what's their answer? Shorter sermons. They have more fun activities, more family activities. They do more things connected to pleasing people. I've seen churches... Build bowling alleys. What? I mean, I think it's a good idea personally. I know a few of us would enjoy a bowling alley right down the street. But I mean, churches that build bowling alleys. One church built a dance hall. And they hold dances every weekend for their members to come and, 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 and do disco dancing and the bunny hop and all that good stuff. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, you're spending tens of thousands of dollars 
to do fun things when the purpose of the church is to stand in the river and follow God. That doesn't make sense to me. But for them, it's the only way they can keep their mega churches going. It's the only way they can keep people coming. We have to give them what they want. We have to make the church look like what they want. We have to, we have to bend the word of God around so that nobody's offended. Guess what? I got an A in offense in seminary. I live to offend people with the word of God. I never do it intentionally, but if what it says offends you, I apologize. I, I invite you to take it up with the author. If he will just come down and change his words, then I will change what I preach. Amen? Here's the thing. If I ever stop preaching this word wholly and completely, if I ever stop doing the whole thing, feel free to fire me. Because if I get to the place where I compromise this word just because of what you want, I don't deserve to be up here. You need someone up here that will do the whole word of God completely, even the stuff that nobody likes. Amen? That's what it's all about. And then you look at this, that's why our leaders have to be strong. They have to be strong because you're the ones that have to give up weekends. You're the ones that have to give up time. You have to stay behind when everybody else is gone. You have to come here when nobody else is here. You have to do work sometimes by yourself. That's not your job. Sometimes you know someone's got a job in the church and they just don't do it. So what do you do? You get here early and you do it yourself. That's what leaders do. They're the first into the fight. They're the last out of the fight. Because the priest had to stay in the river till everybody was safe on the other side. Remember? Just like the tribes that settled on the east side of the Jordan, their families were safe. They had their farms. They had their stuff all set up. They had their land. They had to leave what they had for seven years to go into the promised land to fight for their brothers until everybody had their land. Then they could go home. Are you willing to fight seven years for the good of the person seated, seated next to you? Look at the person next to you. Just look at the person. You two got only look at. Yeah. Look at the person next to you. Let's say you've got everything you want out of church. Are you willing to serve and struggle and fight for the good of the person next to you? Even if you don't like that person. There you go. By the grace of God. Now you're talking. That's what it's about. Now here's the thing. Remember what Rahab said back in chapter 2? She said, oh, we've heard about what God did at the Red Sea and Sihon and Og, and we're scared of you. Can you imagine how the people at Jericho felt when they looked out and the Jordan stopped and the water stood up like a wall and the rest of it flowed away? And here comes two million people on dry ground. Can you imagine what everybody in Jericho did? Man, they must have had a bunch of incontinent accidents. It was terrible. They had bad days when they saw two million people on dry ground. They knew they were dead. I mean, he just put the nails in their coffins. It's amazing. Let's finish it up. So we have prepared our people. We have prepared you to go and do whatever it is God calls us to do. Amen? We're going to support new Bible studies. We're going to support our young professionals and every other Bible study that we need to get going. And then we are going to call our leaders to stand up and be prepared. Finally. We're going to step out in faith. Joshua 3, 14 through 17. And we're done. Joshua 3, 14 through 17. We're going to step out in faith. When the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carried the Ark of the Covenant ahead of the people. Now the Jordan overflows its banks throughout the harvest season. But as soon as the priests carrying the Ark reached the Jordan, their feet touched the water at the edge, and the water flowing downstream stood still. Rising up in a mass, 
that extends as far as Adam and the city of Zarathon in the north. Now, obedience results in victory. That's what I named this. Obedience results in victory. They stepped into the water, and the water stopped. Just like God said. Now, keep going. The water flowing downstream into the Sea of Arabah, the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. because it's, it's all standing like a wall on this side. And the people crossed opposite of Jericho. I told you, Jericho is feeling really bad. They're watching them come right across. And where are they going? Straight at Jericho. They know they're next. They watch them come across. The priest carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood firmly on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel crossed on dry ground until the entire nation, two million people, had finished crossing the Jordan. Two million people. I wonder how long it takes to cross two million people across a, a, a riverbed. That's how long they stood there. That's how long they stood holding it. Now notice this and we're done. What did the priests stand on? On solid, dry ground. They stood firmly on dry ground. What is the only solid, dry ground that the church has to stand on? The word of God. Not the word of men, not the word of leadership, not the, not the revelations of special people. We can't do that. You have to stand on the word of God. Now, you know, some of you like John MacArthur. I love John MacArthur. You know, great. I don't stand on the word of John MacArthur. I don't. I stand on the word of, of God. I stand on the word of God. I, I like J. Vernon McGee. Do I stand on the word of J. Vernon McGee? No. He's a good resource, a good, a good historical resource person. I don't stand on what anybody says. I stand on what the word of God says. And you don't have to trust leaders and pastors and teachers and radio person you don't have to trust them you've got the word of god in front of you hundreds of people died that you might have the word of god in front of you now you need to stand on it. and to stand on it, you need to read it and you need to believe that god is who he says he is and that he is a rewarder of those who faithfully and diligently seek him that's the word of god by the way god rewards those who believe he is and who diligently seek his face. That's what it means to step out in faith. What does it mean for this church? I don't know. I don't know what the future holds for us. I don't know where we're going to be, what we're going to do. But right now, we are standing in this place. And there is a community around us who needs to know about Jesus Christ. Amen? There are people in Wake Forest who need to know about Jesus Christ. Amen? There are young professionals that you work with every day who need to know about Jesus Christ. That's your dry ground to stand on. That's your job. I can't be everywhere and do all things. All I can do is kick you in the pants and tell you God has told you to stand. And by standing, his name will be glorified and honored. I'm going to put a challenge before you this week. For one week, starting from this moment on, you're not allowed to say anything negative about the church or anybody in it. I'm going to get emails about this. You know why? Because we cannot be divided inside the house. We're about to come to the Lord's Supper. We cannot be divided. Because the only thing that holds us together is the word of God, is the person of Jesus Christ. My challenge to you this week, say nothing negative about our church or our church members and say absolutely nothing negative about your pastor's wife. I know that you're still going to talk about me, but I'm just, I'm just going to let that one go. Instead, 
Instead, this whole week, I want you to say nothing but what is good and pleasing and true about the Lord Jesus Christ. Say it to everybody you can. Say it to every person that you're around. Say, you know, my God is so good. He has given me passage on dry ground. Yeah, there's financial ruin over here. There's marriage ruin over here. There's the marriage amendment over here. And there's people over here that don't like Christianity. But you know what? I'm on solid ground. I'm walking through the Jordan, and the water's mounded up, and nothing's going to stop me from going into my promised land. Amen? All right, so are you ready to swim in the deep? Now we're finished. Do God's people know what they must do to follow him? The answer is consecrate themselves. This week, you give yourself to the word of God. You confess anything in your heart. You get rid of it and you say, God, make me into an instrument of your glory. Second, have our leaders lifted up the covenant of God, which is his word before his people. And the answer is, yes, I just did it. So you now know the word of God. You know what that means. You know what that looks like. Now you've got no excuse for not standing on it or following it. Third, do we have a vision of where God is leading us and the assurance of his victory in the land? Yes. Anything we do here that God leads us to do, whether it be for the homeless, whether it be for the people in the community, or for the frat house people back here, Lord knows they need all the help they can get. I've seen them staggering around on Saturday night. It's pretty embarrassing, actually. You know, whatever he calls us to do in our land, to take our land for Jesus Christ, that's what we're going to do, amen? And he is the one who has given us the guarantee of victory. If we stand on his name, his word never returns void. So finally, then we can step out in boldness. Do you want to be bold today? Just say amen. amen. This side does not want to be bold. Do you want to be bold for the God who died to save you? Just say amen. amen. Now let's live that way. And we live that way by coming to this. We have the Lord's Supper every month. And we expect it and we look forward to it. This is consecration, church. This is what it means to be consecrated. Consecration is preparation. Consecration is devotion. It's giving ourselves again to Jesus Christ. Someone asked me, why do you want to renew your wedding vows to your wife? I said, because I want to make a public statement that yes, after 20 years, which will be, you know, in a while, then we're, st we're still married. We're still committed to it. We're still covenanted together. And it, it, I don't need to do that. She doesn't need to do it. But our, our renewing our vows says to the world that we're still tight and don't even try and get between us. That's what it says. This says to the world, I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. Don't make me do the Apostles' Creed to you now. I believe in Jesus Christ, his son, our Lord. I believe in the Holy Spirit who indwells, who seals and empowers believers to serve him. This is our consecration, that this week we are going to be his people. Now I'm going to have my deacons and ushers. You guys are off the hook now. Deacons and ushers, come on up. You can do it next time. We've got to lay hands on you, anoint you with oil, like this stuff first. No, it, oil's not that hot. If you are a believer, a born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have given your life to him, you're welcome to join us. You don't have to be a member of the church to do this. You only need to be a member of the body of Christ, which is your faith in the Lord. So as it comes, please take it and join us.